When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinance and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. And that is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 10 to 11. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, And in front of me, I'm by myself. What? Everybody's ditched me today. Uh, the president is out today. So uh, I am running the podcast a solo. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in today. Um, today, we have a special guest, uh, Mark Galley, and we're going to be talking about his book, When Did We Start Forgetting About God? The Root of Evangelical Crisis and the Hope for the Future. So uh, I'm really excited to have this author on. He used to be the editor of Christianity Today. Um, he has this great book, which uh, we'll introduce uh today uh, that it just got released uh he's written several books um jesus mean and wild has been one of my favorite books out there uh if you guys have not read that book please go and pick it up you can pick it up here at bridge radio i uh, just want to say thank you for all our listeners out there um we cannot do this without you uh just super excited uh how many international listenerships we have been uh, getting so thank you to you all i usually will mention uh, different places i've taken a little break from that but again for all our international and domestic listeners thank you very much uh we're only here because of you also please don't uh, forget to subscribe to apple android google stitcher radio and please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org uh, so I hope everybody is doing well out there uh, as we continue to battle uh, this coronavirus. Uh, hopefully we don't see too much shutdown going on here in the next several months. Uh, and I hope everybody is doing well. And if you're not doing well, please make sure that you reach out to us. Uh, we will be more than happy to pray for you guys, pray for your family. Uh, you can reach us here at the ministry and we will be more than happy to pray for you guys. Um, yeah. So why don't we get this uh, podca podcast started today, ladies and gentlemen, and let's do it. Mark Alley is an American minister, author and editor. For seven years, he was editor in chief of Christianity Today. He has written and co-written several books like Jesus, Mean and Wild and Beautiful Orthodoxy. Mark has served as a Presbyterian pastor in Mexico City and in Sacramento, California. He's a graduate of the University of California at Santa Cruz and holds an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome, Mark Galley, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Yeah, good to be with you. Good to hear, learn about your ministry. It's really great. Quite impressive. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Mark, for uh, coming on. Uh, you are a fellow Chicagoan. And I was super excited to have you on. I've read your uh, book, Jesus, Mean and Wild. It has been definitely a blessing to me. I love that book. Going through your book, when when did we start forgetting about God? Um, I mean, Mark, I was reading through your book. I don't even, there's so many good things in your book. I mean, I was having a hard time. Like, we, we this podcast is only 45, 45 40 minutes. Uh, I mean, they're going to have to go out and get the book, but you know, exactly. we, we can't, we, we can't fit everything in there. So, uh, exactly. so, so thank you for coming on. So Mark, as we begin, uh, can you just share a little bit about yourself and how God drew you to saving faith? 
Well, like most people, he drew me to my saving faith and uh, my faith in general ever so gradually, but there were markers. So mm. when I was 13, uh, my mother had just become a Christian. And in our family, uh, when my mom got into something, we all got into it, whether we liked it or not. <laughs> and uh, she, we started attending an evangelical free church. Mm. In uh, I was in, living in California at the time in mm. a small community called Felton. Mm. And um, I mean, that isn't where we were living. That's the, that's where we went to church. And uh, it was it was the custom of that church to have an altar call every Sunday. And for not the for for it wasn't the best of motives. I was tired of feeling guilty during the altar call. Mm. And the Sunday before Christmas, I said, I don't want to feel guilty the week after Christmas. So I'm just going to go forward. And I went forward. It was a very cheerful moment. Uh, probably a lot of it was psychological pent up psychological pressure mm. uh and uh you know said the sinner's prayer and all that and even though the the next week i went to church i still felt guilty during the altar call <laughs> 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 for some reason god held me to that that little moment mm. and it's never occurred to me to to take a step away from it mm. so I, I i credit that with god's grace since my motives were obviously very selfish mm. uh, in going forward but uh just step by step after that i was back I did uh, immersion baptism a month later, and then I had various experiences over the next few years to help me understand the depth and breadth of the Christian life, understand what I really was getting into, and uh, but that's how it started. Wow! Yeah, uh, yeah, those are altar calls for sure. <laughs> I yeah, uh, yeah the, they, there's there's definitely a lot of pressure for you know when you're in church that does altar calls. So, but yeah. you know, God. God and his sovereign plan, uh, you know, uh, you're here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so Mark, let's uh, go ahead and, and start uh, talking about your book. When do we start forgetting about, about God, the roots of the evangelical crisis and the hope for the future? Mark, how can, how can we say that we've forgotten about God when his name is invoked in church, social media and political causes? Yeah, that is that is a bit of an irony. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I realized in the middle of the book I need to kind of admit that yeah, we do we talk about God a lot. There's a lot of God talk in our churches. We implore His name uh, even in our politics now. So yeah, and I think uh, what I'm getting to is obviously uh, the book is a bit of a hyperbole. I'm I'm trying to take after our Lord who was fond of hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, so in, in one sense, no, we haven't forgotten about God. But in another sense, I, I believe he's taken a back seat in terms of our the way we think about our lives and the way we live our lives. Mm. So especially when it comes to to church and social media and political causes, we are rightfully a people who think it's important to act on behalf of God. We think it's really important to love our neighbor, and that's a good thing because that's one of the things Jesus commanded us to do. It's my contention, though, that we have let our activism quietly and slowly but and very subtly displace God from the center of our lives hmm. so that we wake, we wake up each day not thinking about how we can love God better, but simply what more good can we do in the world on behalf of God? Uh, and that's, as I said, that's a mixed blessing. On the one hand, it's a good thing to have that kind of fervor. Uh, but when we forget the source of our ac activity, when we forget what is the ground of our activity and why we're doing it in the first place, 
uh, that's that's become a problem. And I, I just one of the things the book tries to do is remind us that there is a commandment before the first, the second commandment. Yeah. And the first commandment is to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. It's it's a command to love that's put into a different key uh, than the love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty hard to do by itself. But then to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, that does seem like that would command a little more time and attention from us than it actually does uh, in our day-to-day life. And I suppose one reason we don't attend to it as much as we might is that, that that's a daunting command <laughs> yeah. to fulfill. It's much easier and much more immediately satisfying to go share your faith with someone or go to a food closet and hand out food or work for a social justice cause you think is righteous. You get immediate rewards for that sort of thing. But loving God can o- often lead to periods of dryness and a period when God doesn't seem to be speaking to us, and it's very difficult to spend moments in prayer beyond five to ten minutes a day. It's, it's just a hard thing for a human being to do. So that's, I think, what I mean by having forgotten God. Yeah, especially during this time where this this country and the world is just dealing with a lot with, you know, just uh, uh, this divisiveness, the COVID and everything. I, I know that I've spoken to uh, several uh pastors and preacher that you know their their sheeps are, are are having a hard time and you know it's it is definitely interesting and uh, i know here at the ministry um we're we're, we're always asking uh, people if they need prayer what do they need help with because uh yeah we're, we're going through some a uh, tough period right now for sure yeah yeah um so mark is america evangelicalism in a moment of crisis um, I want. I did want to just uh, touch on um, in the introduction of your book where um, uh, you are quoting Michael uh, Spencer about just the the future in in what he said. He said, "Intolerance of Christianity will rise to a level many of us have not believed possible in our lifetime." And public policy will become particularly hostile towards evangelical Christianity, increasingly seeing it as the opponent of good of individuals and society. And he goes on to say other things. The difference between uh, he says the difference, the, the difference will be that millions of evangelical will quit, quit their churches, quit their adherence to evangelical distinctives and quit resisting the rising tide of culture. That was very powerful just in the beginning of your book when you're uh, in the introduction. And, and and I was like, man, is America evangelical evangelicalism in a moment of crisis? Yeah. In fact, I admitted in the book that when he first when Spencer first wrote that, I, I disagreed with him. I didn't think yeah. things were that dire. But his uh, his his words pr- proved to be right. And mm-hmm. we are living in a time when increasingly. uh especially many forms of conservative Christianity Mm. are just considered uh, either medieval and archaic or outright prejudice against certain groups in our society. So there is no question that, and the media in general has more disdain for us, outward disdain for us than it ever has. Mm. So in that regard, there is a crisis in that regard. But in, in reality, that's not, as I say in the book, that's not really the core of the crisis because it's not unusual for Christians 
to be subject to uh, discrimination or or um, people's low opinion of us or even persecution. I mean, there are Christians in other parts of the world that suffer much worse derision than we do. Yes. And they suffer not only jail, but uh, death. I mean, I was just reading this morning about the number of Nigerian Christians that have been killed since the beginning of the year because of their faith. So yeah. in that regard, uh, our crisis is in some says, sense mild compared to theirs. But the crisis I'm talking about is the, the notion that in the midst of all this, what some Christians want to do is they want to fight back and say, we want our place in culture once again to be respected. Mm. That's the so-called culture wars. Mm. Uh, I think that would be a good thing to happen if it could happen. But I don't think that's where the main battle lies. I think the main battle lies in us. How do we be Christians in a time when we're incre- increasingly disrespected? Mm. And I don't know that that calls for us to be fighting. Mm. as much as uh, continuing and figuring out more creative ways to love our enemies, Mm. because many people in our culture have become our enemies. Yeah. And the way we do that, of course, is to focus ourselves on who God is and what he's done for us, increase our love for God, and to recognize that when God came to the world in the person of Jesus Christ, he was, in the end, not only derided and criticized and persecuted by the leaders of the day, he was eventually put to death, and uh, yeah. his words on the cross were, "For God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think if we were to remember who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ and spend more time on that, I think that type of—we would be shaped into the person of Jesus Christ and be able to respond like that. But instead, what we do is we end up fighting our culture and fighting our cultural enemies instead of figuring out how to love them. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I, I find uh, um, m- me at times uh, with uh, just even with social media and, and the things that they say about us as Christians. And, and and I have to admit that it bugs me. And sometimes I do get angry and, and I have to check myself because you are absolutely right that the first thing that we want to do, I want to do is fight back. You know, I want to defend myself. You know, I want to speak up, I, you know, and 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 confess that I forget to love those people, you know, and and I'm just like, ah, like, why don't these people get it? You know, like, what do you guys do? No, you can't say that. You guys are crazy. Like, you guys don't know what you're talking about, you know, and and how easily uh, we can forget. I can forget just scripture, as you pointed out, how to love them, how to pray for them. Uh, and, 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 and ask God to open your eyes to see the truth, you know, and, 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 yeah. and so. It's also a helpful prayer, too, uh, I have found when I have the uh, humility to pray. It is, Lord, help me, help me hear the words of my critics or the critics of our faith and to understand and accept anything they say that is really true and that needs to be confessed by us Christians, uh, as well as, yeah, praying for their, for their welfare, praying for the welfare of enemies. I just find that, those type of prayers really, really helpful in changing my own disposition. Yeah. So, um, Mark, uh, as we're just talking about just s- some of the concerns in, in what you pointed out, what concerns in the past that I know that you talk a little bit on your book and the present have we seen uh, replace the yearning to be in God and to know God in us? Well, what arises, it, it is kind of ironic, what arises out of, 
the two great awakenings in American history mm. uh, is a deepened passion to yearning to to be in God and to have him dwell in us fully, to know God and to know God is with us and in us, have an intimate, a sense of an intimacy with God. So this is one thing that happens during the, during awakenings, during spiritual awakenings, big and small, uh, social and personal. And of course, within, it doesn't take long for a person who's in that state of, in a sense, being in love with God, like you fall in love with a person of the opposite sex, you you just bask in the in the joy of that that experience in and of itself. But then pretty soon you start thinking, what can I do for this person? I would like to do something great for this person, <laughs> and we want to do that for God. So it isn't a surprise that after the especially after the second awakening, Christians began to look at their society and said, "There's too much alcoholism in our country, and there's slavery, and there's there's a the the, uh, the mistreatment of the poor in industrial towns and." Yeah. So they began to, and there's illiteracy. I mean, they began all sorts of things to try to cure these, these evils in our land out of a passionate love to do what God would want them to do. But as I said, uh, activism has this strange quality about it and that it's, it can be, it can start for the best of motives, but it soon begins to captivate the entire in the entirety of one's soul and mind. And all one starts to think about is the things that they have to do, that they should do, things that need doing, and how they should do them. Uh, and it's not long before God takes a back seat. I mean, this is a fairly typical arc when it comes to uh, mainline churches, which I've been a part of much yeah. of my life. Uh, it started with the social gospel movement, which if you read the, if you read the early writings of Walter Rauschenbusch and other social gospel writers, you'd go, God, these guys are evangelicals. They're just really in love with the Lord, but they also want to do something about the social ills of society. Hmm. The prop is, uh, unless you have some sort of system of checks and balances, uh, concern for society slowly but surely begins to replace concern for God as such, or it becomes the same thing. Yeah. To love God means to serve society, and that's all it means. Yeah, I, I like in your book, you, you say that the holiness movement produced more than its share of Protestant saints, but as much of it also predictably degenerated into religious narcissism. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, that is so true. Uh, when when we start doing just, uh, uh, we're just doing, 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 and and forgetting about relationship. And um in another part of your book, and we'll probably get touch maybe a little bit on the next question, just about what the the horizontal and the vertical and and how that looks like. How was the popular topic of transformation a temptation within the church? Well, it actually gets to something you were you were trying you were kind of searching for saying because mm. the other tendency of a of a revival movement like the holiness movement. Or like the charismatic movement in the United States uh, now, you know, today, is it does, again, it, it makes you excited about knowing God. And it, what happens is, is you begin to, you begin to, in, uh, you're tempted to begin to focus on yourself uh. rather than the, on the God who gave your experience. So, for example, for me, I, when I first started going to a, a more charismatic Anglican church, it was, it was just a wonderful experience after having been to an Episcopal church that was more formal, which I also appreciate for its own strengths. 
but this church was exciting. It was interesting. It was, I felt like I had, uh, experiences of the Holy spirit in the midst of the church. Mm. And what I found is I so loved that experience. I would start going back to church because I wanted an experience of God and not necessarily God himself, who sometimes comes in a wonder, comes to us in a joyful experience, but sometimes comes to us more meditatively in a, in a fine sermon or a soft, a soft hymn of some sort. But I started to look for the experience mm. rather than God. Transformation works the same way. The fact of the matter is a person who's in love with God and with, in whom God dwells, they will begin to experience a transformed life. That's just kind of, you can't help but begin to become more godly if you're in God and God is in you. What happens, though, in a lot of cases, the way transformation is talked about, especially in sermons and in other and in evangelistic presentations, is your life's a mess. You know, you've admitted your life's a mess. You're you're either drinking too much, your marriage is falling apart, you've got some bad habits you'd like to get rid of. Come to Christ, and He can help you heal of those, heal those in you. And what happens is, for some of us, we then think, "Oh, I really don't like the way I am right now." And I really want to be different. And maybe God can help me. But who's the whole focus of that thought train? <laughs> it's me. Yeah, it's us. Yeah. I want God to help me be the person I want to be. Mm. Uh, he's merely uh, he's merely my, my handyman. He's going to come along and help me be the person I want to be. Well, we all know, even though many of us enter the Christian life, with poor motives we all we all know that at some point you've got to confess that no it's not important the way i want to be yeah it's important what god wants me to be and that might not that might not feel too good sometimes yeah Uh, i may get rid of my alcoholism and i may get rid of some bad habits but he actually also wants me to serve my wife (laughs) he wants me to do things for her when i don't feel like doing it yes well that wasn't part of the transformation bargain for me (laughs) i just wanted to get rid of that bad habit uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure. My, so my, transformation is fundamentally, obviously, a great thing. Yeah, but we twist it into something that's about us first mm. and foremost, and that's when it becomes a real devilish thing. Yeah, how difficult it is when we have to serve our wives and make sure we're taking care of her needs. You know, so yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely a, a, a hard reminder, especially when you're in scripture. What are what our requirement as husbands uh, to be serving our wives and being gentle with them. You know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes what I don't do with my wife, you know, and she loves listening to the podcast. So uh, she definitely knows that I'm, <laughs> I, I'm the utmost sinner and have to uh, definitely um, ask God every day to um, uh, be more like him and serving and not be so, self-centered <laughs> because I can be definitely selfish. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's the reason that, uh, St. Paul inspired by the Holy spirit only spent, I think one or one verse or more that not much more than that, telling wives how they should react to their husbands. But he spends four or five verses telling husbands how they should treat their wives. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Isn't it like, is, isn't it like, isn't it like nine or 10 and like the, the, the women have like three or something like that? Yeah. Something ridiculous. <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh man. 
it's like he's trying to hammer it into the men's head. <laughs> yeah, and and I definitely, definitely always need work with that. So, you know, if you ever see my wife, you can ask her about me, and she'll be yeah. like, yeah, I don't know why God put me with this guy, because, uh, but, uh, but, but in all honesty, she, she'll, she'll would admit and say, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's a sanctification on her part as well, you know, being with me. Yeah. So I found yeah. that interesting as she says that, you know, in, in, in one thing that you, in, what do you, apart what you say in your book here, when we we're just talking you, you in, in chapter in when the first, uh, the first chapter when, in this topic, you said, um, that, uh, progress after all can be so slow and halting that the great saints like the apostle Paul who wrote forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive a heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And that's Philippians 3:13 to 14 still calls himself at the end of his life, the worst of all sinners. And that's Timothy 1:15. I really love that you put that in there of how Paul just looked at himself, even at the end of the race. Yeah. And the one thing I tried to make clear, uh, you know, one thing I'm really good at, is pointing out the sinfulness of the evangelical movement and the mm. sinfulness of Mark Galley. Mm -hmm. And it would be easy to become discouraged with that and to say, wow, the the sin within me lies really deep and it's profound. And I haven't even noticed dozens of instances in which I've just failed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's good for me to remember that verse from Paul, that Paul understood that uh, it's a lifelong effort to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform us. But two, it to what comforts me is to know that, you know, God is, everything I'm discovering about myself and the, the, the side of myself, I'm not the dark side of myself, God has seen that clearly with absolute clear vision mm. for, for decades, yeah. since the beginning. And he's worked with me despite that. He's been patient with me despite that. And the knowing that his his mercy is so deep and wide mm. uh, makes me know that I don't have to be afraid of discovering some new area of my life that needs reformation, because mm. God has already known it beforehand, and it's only by His grace that that's being revealed to me. And the fact that it's being revealed to me by His grace means He wants to come alongside me and by His by His grace and mercy strengthen me in that area knowing that it's going to be incremental improvement most likely so that that i don't know that just gives me a tremendous amount of calm in the midst of these sort of self-incriminations mm. um to know that it's the only reason i cannot i can see that in myself is because god is showing them to me and the only reason he's showing to me is because he loves me yeah yeah it's amazing uh you know before uh god got a hold of me like you know i i had no problem doing the things that i was doing before christ you know i didn't think that i was doing anything wrong you know yeah uh, until he opened my eyes and i'm just like you know you, you have that isaiah moment moment and, you know woe is me i'm a man of unclean lips and i live with people among unclean lips but um yeah <laughs> um Mark, I, I did want to touch a little bit uh, on chapter six. Uh, you um, talk about the focus of worship. Um, can you just talk about a little bit, uh, talk about that a little bit and just the importance of worship and what you're touching on in that chapter? Yeah, I mean, it's related to many uh, 
kind of my understanding of what the church is for. Now, mm. in our activist age, we tend to think of the church as its purpose is to make the world a better place or to win more disciples for Jesus Christ or to share the gospel throughout the whole world. And there's no question that all those are part of what the church is called to do. But when you get right down to the very central purpose and reason for existence, what is that for the church? Because it always struck me as a little odd when I was in, especially churches that emphasized evangelism, that the purpose of the church is to train people to go out and be evangelists so they can become members of the church so that they can go out and treat uh, make evangelist, you know, to become evangelists for other people. It was kind of this circle in mm. which there was no real central purpose, but just a bunch of activity. Mm. Uh, but I think for me, the purpose of calling someone into into the body of Christ with our evangelism is to bring them into the church, whose primary and first purpose is to worship, to praise God, to thank God, to glorify God mm. for His goodness, His innate goodness but also his goodness for, towards us and his mercy toward the whole world. Mm. That in turn will, in fact, inspire us to go out and share the good news, but it makes the church uh, an endpoint in that regard. Uh, it, it makes the church kind of a picture of eternity, because of what we see in the book of Revelation, uh, the main activity of heaven seems to be the worship of God, the glorification of God, yeah. the thanksgiving to God. Mm. Uh, you know, that to us now sounds, to some people that sounds, well, that's going to be tedious and boring because how, how much can you do that without wanting to go out and play? <laughs> uh, but we forget that when we have this vision of God in eternity, we will see aspects of his glory and his goodness and his love and his mercy. We'll see almost as much as a finite being can see the infin the infinitude of all those attributes. Mm. We will see them ever more clearly. We'll just be filled with awe and gratitude, and we'll want nothing more to do than to thank him and praise him and glorify him. Now, I'm not saying the kingdom of heaven is, is only worship, but I think the reason why um, Revelation focuses on that is to remind us the glory of heaven is not that we'll get to do all the fun things we got to do in this life with loved ones that we loved in this life. I believe that will be part of it. Uh the great thing about heaven is that God will be with us and there will be will glory in his presence. He'll glory in ours. It'll be a big love feast is what it boils down to. And what is worship? Nothing. Worship is really in that sense, nothing more than a love feast between us and God. So that's what I mean when I think worship is so central, even though, you know, some critics have said, well, won't the church become all selfish if it's just about worship? And yeah, the church can become selfish. We're very creative at becoming selfish. But I think worship at its best will so fill us with love for God and one another. We'll say, we got to tell some other people about this. This is crazy. This is crazy good. Yeah. And is it fair to, it is, is it fair for me to say, Mark, that God demands glory as we just see in, in the Bible? Yeah. And I think what we have to understand about that, we tend to think uh, when we use a phrase like that, what ha comes to people's mind is God is this autocrat. Hmm. who demands that people, makes people want to glorify him because he's kind of insecure. <laughs> <laughs> but he demands glory uh, us to glorify him because he knows 
there is nothing greater in the universe. Yeah. And if we bring glory to anything else, we are shortchanging ourselves. Mm. We are acting like something that's penultimate. We're acting like it's ultimate. And when God demands worship of himself and glorification of himself, he's saying, don't forget mm. the greatest, most wonderful, most glorious, most loving, most merciful, most powerful being in the universe is me. And when you are rightly related to me, everything else falls into place perfectly. But if you don't do that, you eventually end up in idolatry. And that only can drive a human being to become less of a human being. So that's the type of demand he makes. It's like the demand of a of a parent to his child to say, you are never to cross the street. I, I, I make this demand of you never to cross the street without holding hands. He's not doing that because it is, he's an autocrat. And he doesn't care about the child. He's demanding something because he knows what's best for the child. And that's, I think, the sense in which God demands our worship. Yeah, and, and I think John is very, very clear as he uh, calls us little children in, 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 in John, and, and I, I forget that. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a child. I'm an adult child, and I have a, I have a, a God, a King, a Savior who I, um, I, I bow down to and I serve, you know, in, in a very positive way, like, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, as we move forward here, Mark, um, as we move forward as a church, what kind of balance? What kind of a balanced diet do we need? With just everything going on. Yeah, right. Well, one of the criticisms of some some have made of the book is that I seem to shortchange the love of neighbor. Hmm. Uh, and I, I do in the book time and again try to remind people that yeah, this doesn't the the thesis of this book doesn't mean that love your neighbor is any less important. I do think it's interesting that. When people to show you kind of the state we're in, I've read many books about our duty to our neighbor, whether it comes to sharing our faith, or working for uh, to end world hunger, or to uh, whatever whatever social cause we're into at the moment. Uh, that never mentions how important it is to love God. Nobody criticizes the book for failing to mention that, mm. or mentioning it very little. But when I write a book or anyone writes a book that we should love God first and foremost, everyone's first objection is, well, what about loving our neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me it shows, shows me our addiction to, to uh, activity and to, and to doing things for God rather than God himself. But I, I certainly want to say, continue to say that a balanced diet includes loving your neighbor, uh -huh. loving your neighbor in the church, loving your neighbor in your neighborhood, loving the neighbor who's a believer, who's an unbeliever, now, loving your neighbor who's an enemy of the church. Hmm. That's for sure. But I think the part of the balance of the diet, the vegetables we're not having or the meat or whatever you want to call it, the desserts, but more like dessert, really, uh, is to figure out ways how we can shape our lives to increase our love of God. And the that part of the diet, there's there's no mystery to it. The church has been practicing these things for, for centuries, but they're increasingly neglected uh, in our time, and that's a simple matter of spending time in prayer, not just prayer that asks God for things, but spends time in prayer just quiet, mm. perhaps listening, or perhaps just being in his presence. Mm. Uh, the reading of scripture, to listen, not only to learn what we should do, but to listen, to discover who God is. Uh, the thing that's been like, for example, I've been reading uh, 
passages. Well, I just finished reading a number of passages from John in which Jesus makes these extraordinary claims. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. These are extraordinary claims. If you think, if you're trying to think of him, if you approach him, this is a human being saying this. Oh my gosh, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> yeah, and this is John 10, right? Matt, and I thought, I thought, okay, that's John's emphasis. But I've been reading in Matthew, he says the same sort of things. Mm. And I think uh, there are things I read that encourage me to do something. But one of the things I've been most impressed with in my readings lately is that this is reminding me of who Jesus is yeah. and how much, uh, you know, he's not just a, again, not just a teacher of good things to do. He is should be the center and uh, very being that my life is totally focused on. So scripture can do that. Scripture, not just as a as a means to find out what we're supposed to do, but to to discern in deeper levels who God is. Um, so, uh, it in that sense, and then the other thing is, I don't know what you'd call this, and something I'm trying to do, but it's difficult in a busy life, and that is to frame my waking days with God. And what that means is something as simple as when I'm driving through my community, which is. Tree, many of the streets are tree-lined, just it, and especially this time of year, the gardens are flourishing. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And just take a moment as I'm driving. It doesn't have to be a full-fledged praise chorus or anything. Just a simple, this creation is a creation of our loving Father. Mm. End. Or I walk into a, uh, uh, well, nobody walks into a crowded building now, but yeah. <laughs> no. when I would go to a baseball game, for example, uh, I would try to say, okay, Here's here's thirty thousand people, yeah. loved by God. Yeah. Even though there's people in front of me smoking marijuana, other people cursing on the left. Yeah. <laughs> One guy getting drunk on the right. These are the people for whom Christ died. Yeah. Uh, to frame one's day with those reminders uh, can really begin really begin to help shape how you then go about loving the neighbor, so mm. that. Um, when you're loving the neighbor at the food closet and giving them food because they don't have enough, you realize you'll get some satisfaction in giving them a bag of groceries. Uh, you'll also remember that they're people loved by God and that as the opportunity presents itself, uh, you know, it's a corny expression, but you'll want to offer them the bread of life as well. Yeah, no. I uh, I was going to ask you, uh, baseball, is it uh, Cubs or Sox? <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's the deal. I'm old enough to have lost patience. So whoever whoever is doing better, that's who I'm rooting for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is great. No, uh, I, I love that you do uh, use. Uh, uh, you're, you're talking about a baseball game where, yeah, you're you're sitting around like. It, and for our listeners who've been sporting's event, I mean, those things can get definitely out of hand and you know people are drinking and swearing and and you're just like yeah i i am living in a lost world you know uh, but uh yeah and, and and then in the next play you're you know you're just like yeah whatever that guy said you know right, I, I can't say it but yeah get him you know but uh now it's definitely a just a reminder every day who 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 god is you know uh I was just thinking when you were just talking about just God's glory. I mean, we have a comet right now. What is it? Neil wise. And that people can see, you know, right now, uh, right before a sunset. 
And I find just the uh, stars and moon and planets just amazing. Um, And I've looked at like pictures of just uh, the Hubble telescope and uh, of just what's out there. And just to think that just a, a mighty God created all that and just a reminder of who he is and just in his creation, um, you know, and and we read that in Romans, you know, that we have no excuse because, you know, he's, he's shown himself in creation. But I mean, I, 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 when I started thinking about those things, I can't help but just praise him and glorify him, you know, because I want to make sure that I'm always in the mindset and I don't obviously do this perfectly. I mean, but who he is and what he's done for me on the cross and, I have to preach the gospel to myself every day because it's not about me. It's about him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and once I, once I do that and realize that, you know, like God took me out of the darkness and into the light and adopted me, it's, you know, just a whole different experience when I start off my day in that mindset. I actually have a theory, your, your, your reaction to the starry heavens, Mm. Uh, you know, I live in suburb, suburban Chicago, so you see very few stars at night here. Yeah. And uh, so I was just up in the uh, high Colorado Rockies with family. Mm. And uh, every night you step out on the porch and you just see, you know, as Carl Sagan used to say, billions and billions <laughs> of stars. And it, it got me to thinking, here's my like kind of pet theory is that we tend to we tend to. Uh, say that the reason for our age's unbelief is because of secularism or science or whatever. I just wonder if a lot of it's due to the fact that most people can't see stars at night anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been up to Aspen, Colorado, and and that is a sight to see when you're up that high and see the stars yeah, clear. It's just amazing. It is. Fact, you see the Milky Way. Yeah. The density of the Milky Way, which you cannot possibly see here in Chicago. No, no way. No, yeah. all that smog and, <laughs> and Italian beef juice all over the place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mark, uh, it, the time has just flying by so quickly. Uh, I, I just can't tell for our listening audience. You guys got to go grab the book. I mean, we just barely just touched the surface. Uh, unfortunately, with podcasts, we just can't get in. Uh, get into too much in the book and we want you to go buy it, you know, and, and read it for yourself. But uh, Mark, you know, Romans uh, chapter 10, 14 says, how would they call on him whom they have not believed? How would they believe in whom they have not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? Can you share the gospel with our audience today? Yeah. You know, I, that was a very good question. You sent me that question ahead of time. I've been thinking about it and I was, I was having a hard time picking the verses that I think are most relevant because there's a lot of verses that speak to it directly, but in different ways. Yeah. And I have to say that the one that's been most powerful for me comes from 2 Corinthians 5, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against him. And uh, it then says, uh, so be reconciled to this God. And I think the good news, the gospel is that God has, in a sense, already reconciled himself to us in Christ mm-hmm. by coming, dying on the cross in an act of the forgiveness of sins. And he's saying, come home. Mm-hmm. Come to me now. I've come to you. Come to you in Christ. Don't you know how, how big and magnificent my merciful love is for you? Mm-hmm. 
turn around. Instead of walking away from me, walk toward me. Uh, believe in, you know, the classic phrase is believe in this good news uh, and you will be saved. Wow. Amen. Well, Mark, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. For our listeners, uh, please pick up the book, When Do We Start Forgetting About God? The Roots of Evangelical Crisis and the Hope for the Future. You can get it here at Bridge Ministries. Uh, for our international audience, if you can't find it, please send us an email here, and we'll go ahead and send it to you. And Mark, where can you be found if you want to be found for a listening audience? Uh, social media, <laughs> anywhere? You know, I like to say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am on Twitter, although I very rarely uh, comment on Twitter. The places mm. where you'll find more of my more of my contributions would either be on my website, Mark Galley, G A L L I dot com. But even more so, I, I publish a weekly newsletter called The Galley Report. And you can find that by, actually, I assume if you Google The Galley Report, you'll find a way to access it and, and subscribe. But it's basically a weekly newsletter. comes out on Fridays. I read voraciously during the week. And then I comment on, I pick out four or five articles that I think are most salient. Hmm. And I comment on those. And... Uh, yeah, I have about 5,000, 6,000 followers who seem to appreciate it. So you know, <laughs> one of your listeners might also appreciate it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll go ahead and uh, tag you tomorrow on the uh, for our listening audience. We'll tag you on your Twitter uh, tomorrow. Uh, so okay. if you if you want to just retweet that so our listening yes, audience. Yes, happy uh, to do that. I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, thank you very much for coming on Bridge Radio. It was a huge blessing for me. Uh, it's, it was really enjoyable going through your book. Uh, I still have to finish it. Um, I'm, I'm almost done, but yes, it was definitely a great read. And for our listening audience, please go All right. pick, Thank pick you. it up. Thank you for having me. Bless, Thank you very much. Many blessings on your ministry. Thank you. You too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Mark Galley on his book, When Do We Start Forgetting God? the root of evangelical crisis and the hope for the future. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that was a, a really good podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I've been enjoying the book. Um, please go pick, pick it up. Uh, you know, one thing that here at Bridge Ministry we like to do is promote uh, reading good, solid Christian books. You know, it's something that we uh, we promote every day. And, and again, if you can't get this book uh, um, on Amazon or uh, anywhere else, you know, please go ahead and email us here at bridgemanlaredo.org and we will be more than happy to send you the book anywhere in the world. Um, again, to our listening audience, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and YouTube. Um, and we just want to say thank you again for all the listeners. Uh, and like we always end the show, guys. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? See you guys next week. Later.